0: Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com.
1: Yeah, some of you are already nervous for me this morning. (laughs) This passage of scripture, it's the dangerous one. You're already nervous for me. Thank you. With good reason, because I'm going to step all in it today, you guys. Uh, I was going to call this particular sermon, (laughs) I was going to call this particular sermon uh, Tackling Kaepernick, amen, Uh, because (laughs) we're not quite there yet. Just whenever, you guys, it's okay, it's all right. I know we're working on some stuff, it's all right. I'm grateful for these folks in the balcony. They've had some challenges thrown at them today, and they are doing it beautifully, and we 're almost there, so uh that's the thing, right i mean we, this is this is we need to when we get together and we are the church, we need to talk about the things that are going on in the world uh, and and at least have to have some semblance of an opinion as to how to go about and how to have some of these very important conversations. And there are a couple of them going on in the world right now that we, that we really need to talk about. And this is one of them. Um, this is one of them. We're going to talk about another one next week. But man, this Kaepernick thing started with Colin Kaepernick up there. When he played for the 49ers, as, as you can remember, as you've heard, uh, he took a knee not in protest of the country, the flag, or the national anthem, but to bring some semblance of uh, attention to and awareness of the issue of police brutality, and it has spread like wildfire. It's, it's everywhere now. You've got college teams, bottom right, that's Nebraska. That's Nebraska Cornhuskers, and some of their players continue to take a knee. That's a high school group. Group and Garfield somewhere, Garfield, I think Illinois, and even a little Pee Wee League football team, everybody's doing it. And so the question apparently that we're supposed to be asking today, because it's pertinent, it kind of seems and sounds and feels like the question that's being posed to Jesus today is, what are we going to do about this Kaepernick person, Jesus? Should we kneel or should we not kneel at the National Anthem? And church, I have bad news and good news for you today. I'm going to start with the bad news. The bad news is you don't get an answer. (laughs) The good news is we're going to ask a better question. The good news is we're going to ask a better question. And perhaps in the process of asking that better question, you will have some sense of perspective with which to enter into this and other important conversations that we're supposed to have. Bad news is, and this is actually a fair reading of this passage of scripture, they tried to catch Jesus in a very similar, in a very similar sort of conundrum here, and Jesus responded with an answer that really wasn't an answer. He kind of turned the whole conversation back on them, which is what we need to have done to us today. We need to have a better conversation. We need to ask better questions. A little bit of backdrop information. Again, about the book of Matthew, written 10 or 20 years after the destruction of the temple. Wow, this is super, super important. Super important that you recognize they are here trying to form an answer to the question, what do we, the church people, what do we Christian people do now? How are we organized now? Because the temple has been just ransacked. The temple has been completely destroyed, and the murder of the priesthood, just cast everybody into all kinds of Chaos. What do we do now? What does faith look like now? Probably should say this too. This is also written after the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Written after the resurrection. And so, and a a question that is at least, if not more important than the other one what do we do now after the destruction of the temple? Is this one What do we do now and how do we organize in the light of the resurrection? Does the light of the resurrection become the backdrop against which we make every other decision? We have every other conversation. The correct answer is yes. If you are new to our church, you need to know this at the outset. This is the kind of church that you are in today. We are a church who looks at the cross and we acknowledge the shadow of the cross But we recognize that the resurrection makes the cross. It gives the cross its meaning. And so we do not live in the shadow of the cross. My people, we the church, we are the people who live by the light and in the light of the resurrection. And all God's people said, man, I hope you're getting that. Because it actually changes everything. There's another way to say this. In other words, when we get together, we are doing good eschatology. Now, I have lots of my old professors in the room and mentors in the room, and I just hope, dear God, I do them all justice. Eschatology, the study of the end. Now, some people, when they talk you through eschatology, they want you to read the left-behind books And their understanding goes something like this. God will someday scoop up all of the good people, take them somewhere else, not sure where else, but take them somewhere else, and then God will absolutely destroy this place. I do not, we do not believe that to be scriptural. Oh, I like that. Come on, just keep that up. What we believe, what we believe when we say eschatology and end, We don't just mean the end of all things. We mean the desired end. This is where we're headed. This is what God wants. And what God wants to do is finish what God started in creation, that God called good, 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 and very good. God will, we believe, God will return, Christ will return, and God will finish what God started here. behold, I am making all things new, not I am making all new things. And there's a difference. We live in the light of the resurrection. We have all of our discussions and conversations about Koller Kaepernick in the light of the resurrection. We have all of these discussions about taxes and whether or not we are to obey the emperors of our day against the backdrop of the resurrection, which is for us. The absolute evidence that we need that God has won, is winning, and will win. The ultimate authority belongs to the one who is able to wrestle death to the ground. You believe that? Now, that's not new. Like throughout Scripture, the ancient Hebrew belief was that someday God would defeat death. You can even hear it. In the mouth of Jesus prior to his death, he walks up, Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha come to him and they say, man, if you had just been here, we've seen you heal people before, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus says, now, now you understand that Lazarus can live again, right? Yes, yes, we went to Hebrew Sunday school, we know that at the end of all things, blah, 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 that God will defeat death at the end of all things, Then Jesus has the audacity to say, yeah, yeah, that resurrection, I am the resurrection, says Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And then here's the thing. Watch this. You all, they killed Jesus. Death was, at that moment, still, they thought, the biggest bully on the block. And they killed Jesus and then stood back and said, see, You can only push Rome so far. And then God raised Jesus from the dead. And so the promised future of victory over death comes crashing into the present in Christ. And so there is a real sense in which, and this is really good eschatology, I believe, there is a sense in which the end has come to where we are, and we now are meant to live in the light of the resurrection and announce and implement implement, the dreams of God born out and evidenced as they are in the resurrection. You like that? So far, so good? That is what we call eschatology, which means that we have to do ecclesiology in certain and particular ways. Eschatology always shapes ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is how we go about being the church. How do we go about being the church? Well, if your eschatology is God's going to pick up all the the good people and take them somewhere else and then sort of wipe out all the bad people, then you work really hard to make sure that your good people stay good and you keep them in boxes. You build giant churches as fortresses, right, and you do everything you can to keep them good so that God knows exactly who to come get and take away somewhere else. Amen. You weren't supposed to say amen there. (laughs) Amen. Gotcha, you weren't supposed to say amen. But that kind of eschatology shapes a certain, certain kind of ecclesiology. It shapes how some people do church. But when you have our more robust eschatology, when you have our eschatology, which actually takes very seriously the statement, I am making all things new, then what you do is you see the resurrection of Christ as the first step in that great step, and you start to organize the church as an alternative community that exists in the light of the resurrection, the first fruits, the evidence that God has won, is winning, and will win. Now that's a great place for an amen. You get it? How are we doing? Okay. In other words, we do what we do as the church with the end in mind. We do what we do with the end in mind. We are on the winning side. Please do not act like you're not. please do not worship as if you're not on the winning side. There are some battles that you don't need to fight because they've already been won. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples, the Pharisees did, to him along with the Herodians. Now, let me give you a little bit of context here. The Herodians and the Pharisees hated one another. They were united only in their hatred for Jesus. Each side saw Jesus as a threat to the way things were. Each side. And they were arguing about a specific issue all the time, and it's this tax. This tax. Now, it may go by different, if you have a study Bible, it goes by different names. The census tax, the imperial tax, the the head tax. Essentially, this was the tax that these Jewish folks paid to Rome to pay for Rome's occupation of Israel. Now, can you see why folks didn't want to pay it? They didn't want to pay it at all. It was like supporting, the. it's like paying for your own oppression. And so they did not want to pay it. Now, the Herodians, people who were with King Herod, you can kind of hear it in the word, they were set up as puppet kings by the Roman Empire. They were actually quite in favor of this census tax, this head tax, because a lot of that money went into their coffers, and it helped them to help Rome keep the peace. But the Pharisees belonged to a group of people who felt like this was absolutely not what God had in mind. And so whenever we pay it, we participate in something that God didn't have in mind. They were at odds all the time. And truth be known. Truth be known, the zealots were really upset about this. The zealots would finally revolt and fight and fight and fight. In fact, this is the revolt that started in 66 AD. at Rome ended in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple and the murder of the priesthood. This was a loaded conversation. And the people who cobbled together the book of Matthew wrote it, remember, after the destruction of the temple after the murder of the priesthood, they knew that this was a very, very sensitive subject. They also knew that the zealots who thought, we will fight using the weapons of the enemy, we will fight and God will help us to win this violent battle, turns out they were wrong. And the people who put together the book of Matthew are now reading history saying, yep, they were wrong. They should have listened to Jesus. Y'all are listening very well today. Thank you very much. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, (laughs) listen how they butter him up. We know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one for you do not regard people with partiality. We know that you have it in you to say something here that's going to make the headlines one way or the other. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay the tax or not? Is it lawful to pay the tax or not? Jesus, step in to this conversation. Step in, weigh in, give your opinion, because when you give your opinion, one group of the two of us will finally have reason to kill you. If Jesus says, no, you should not pay this tax, then he aligns himself with the zealots of his day and Rome is able to more quickly than they actually did see him as a rebel, see him as someone who is leading an insurrection and take him out right then and there. But if Jesus were to say, no, 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 you have to pay this tax, then... All of the people who think Jesus is so cool, all of the people who have made Jesus so popular would say, hang on a second here. You're siding with the enemy. You're siding with the enemy oppressors. Then Jesus would lose that groundswell of support. And so they feel like they have him dead to rights. And then Jesus says something to them, strangely enough, about baptism and sanctification. Now, it may not seem like it, But listen to what Jesus said. Hey, uh, let me have a coin, which is actually another way for him to entrap them. Because if the coin was in the pocket of one of the Pharisees, then they had already violated the first two commandments. (laughs) You shall have no other God before me. And make sure you're not carrying around anything with an image on it. A graven image of any kind. Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, the emperor's. Now, this particular coin said this. I'm going to read it in English instead of Latin. (laughs) Tiberius Caesar, August son of the divine Augustus high priest. Listen, when Rome occupied, they didn't just bring political power. They brought their own theology and religious power. They insisted that you worship in one form or another their God, the emperor Caesar, to even carry the coin, demonstrated the hypocrisy of those who asked the question. So Jesus unmasks them as hypocrites. Immediately unmasks them as hypocrites. Whose face, whose image is stamped onto this coin? They answer, the emperor. Then Jesus says this. This is brilliant, guys. Watch this. Jesus said, give therefore to Caesar the things that bear his imprint. But give to God all that bears God's imprint. Well, okay. They were stunned by this. They walked away knowing that they had been both unmasked and mentally bested. But they also heard a really good word about sanctification and baptism. Here's what I mean. Let me ask it like this. Okay, if we're going to give back to God all that bears the imprint of God, the image of God, then who or what is that? Yes, Jesus said pay the tax, but then give to God all that bears God's image. The coin in your pocket may bear the emperor's image, but you... And your entire life bears the image of the creator. Oh, man. To whom do you belong? It's really not an easy question. Because in reality, in reality, Many folks who do bear the divine image because you are created in God's image. Remember this? Though you are created in God's image, many people find themselves in situations where they have pledged their ultimate allegiance to something or someone else. This is it. This is where he's going to start talking about the pledge of allegiance. Watch out. Buckle up. OK, I'll bite. Here you go. Christians who sing the national anthem, put their hands over their hearts and pledge allegiance. Christians better be making a pledge of allegiance to that which belongs in second place.. Amen. Second place. At best, second place. Give to God what is God's. John, how does this have anything to do with sanctification? Well, here's the thing. Kind of like this coin, stamped, imprinted with the image of emperor. We have always believed in Christianity, not just the Nazarenes. In Christianity, we have always believed that creation, and that includes each one of us, is stamped with the image of God. Sanctification is the means whereby that image, marred as it is by living life here, (laughs) covered up as it is by all these competing allegiances and ideologies and theologies, that stamp, that imprint, marred as it is by all of life, sanctification is the means whereby that image is uncovered and restored and recovered. Sanctification, the means whereby you get that back, the image of God. And also the moment where you understand that though other people and other systems may lay claim to you, no one has a deeper claim on your mind and heart than the God in whose image you are created. You belong first and foremost to God. Now this is not new for those of you who have been here more than 15 minutes. You've heard me say this before. We have to be Christians who happen to be American, not Americans who happen to be Christian because you are whatever you are first and whatever you are first shapes your ethics. So watch this, watch this, right? So if you are an attorney before you're a Christian, then the legal field is telling you how to be alive and you're trying as best you can to fit your Christianity in there. If you're a business person, who then is a business person first, who then happens to be Christian, then you are first and foremost what the business world tells you to be. They are defining your ethics, they are defining right and wrong, good and bad, strong and weak, and then you're trying to come to church and fit it all in. But Christians involved in the process of recovering the image of God are Christians before they are anything else, before they are Americans, before they are dads and moms and husbands and wives and sons and daughters. We are Christian before we are anything else and then, you guys, we go to work. But we go to work with the proper understanding of rich and poor, strong and weak and right and wrong. We go to work and we take up ground in the light of the resurrection. In other words, the light of the resurrection can be bright enough to brighten where you go to work so long as you are that person to carry that light. Okay, 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 calm down. What does this have to do with baptism? Everything. 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 There are some places in the world today where the most dangerous thing you could ever do is get baptized. Those places exist today. If you wanna get yourself in some trouble in some of these countries around the world, and I read some of these news stories this week, if you wanna get yourself in some trouble, some places in the world, go get baptized. Because the oppressors in those countries tend to understand baptism better than we do here. Baptism is that moment when you are not just cleansed, it's not just an individualistic holy shower of some kind, holy bath of some kind that cleanses you. There is a cleansing element to it, but just as if not more importantly, it is an initiation rite, and you are ushered into this new kind of community that now lives every moment of every day by the light of the resurrection, and if it requires a complete change in your self-understanding and identity, then that's what you get in the pool. I've told this story 100 times, you'll you'll like this. You laugh every time, thank you, you're gracious to me. But when we do baptism classes for our young people, we like to include the story about this young man this young man, who having heard that sometimes people got their names changed, that's how, much, that's how radical the change was, that sometimes you would have your name changed and your family associations would change. It's such a huge and radical reformation of who you are. We said this to this young man, and he said, well, I'd like a different name myself. Can I choose my own name? And we said, well, what name would you choose? He said, Darth Vader. <laughs> we said, no. Can't choose your own name, Garrett. Just can't. (laughs) But we've lost something. We've lost what was true way back when, somewhere around the writing of the book of Matthew and then thereafter, it was a very dangerous thing to be baptized. In Rome, when Rome was persecuting Christians, the hardest. Rome went looking for people who had been baptized. Because in baptism, you are standing up and saying out loud, (laughs) I'm a Christian that happens to live in the Roman Empire, and not a Roman Empire citizen who hides my Christianity. Rome does not take kindly to not being first place. Hmm, I'm going to say that again. Listen. Listen with every ear that you've got. Rome does not take kindly to being knocked off of first place in your mind and heart. Beware of any empire that demands first place. Allegiance. That spot for the baptized, that spot is taken. (laughs) Or at least it should be. At least it should be. I don't know, John, I I got baptized as a kid. I was even asked this question today. Well, if this is the case, then, John, maybe we're baptizing people too soon or too young before they actually know. Hmm, maybe. Or maybe it is the responsibility of the gathered up people of God to constantly remind and teach and mentor these people who get baptized as early as infants or as early as ninety. Maybe it's our responsibility to be the kind of community that can, by its own life, day to day to day to day, remind one another what it looks like to belong, first of all, to the God who creates you and stamps you with the divine image. Maybe these little kids, do they know what they're getting into? No. Again, neither do young married couples. They don't know what they're getting into either. But maybe these young kids getting involved over here, being initiated into this movement that is first and foremost, first and foremost, a movement of God. Maybe these young kids need to see what it looks like when attorneys go to work and they're Christians before their attorneys, or when doctors go to work and they're Christians before their doctors, or when they go to profess as professors, and they're Christians who happen to go to school and teach, or they're pastors who are Christian before they're pastors. Christian before we're dads and moms. What do you mean by that, by the way? It means that we allow the God who authors love to tell us what it looks like to love our spouses, our children, our siblings, our friends, watch this, and our enemies. And our enemies. And our enemies, the people, you know who I'm talking about, right? Their enemies and our opposites, the ones who believe exactly opposite what you do about Colin Kaepernick. About the Pledge of Allegiance, about the National Anthem. I mean, those people, the wrong people, the people who are wrong. Yeah. In your reaction to your opposites, You're testifying, you're testifying. What are you first? People, what are you first, what are we first? Because you are what you are first, for better or for worse. You are what you are first. Okay, John, I'm concerned. I, uh, I got baptized, but I feel like I didn't understand it. Or perhaps I did understand it, and I've been so intimidated that I've walked away from it. What can I do? Well, come back home. Start walking back home. Let's talk again about what it means to be amongst the baptized, what it means to be the baptized, and perhaps make a special trip up here. This is not accidental. I'm not doing this because I thought it was cool. I do think it's cool, actually. <laughs> that's not the only reason we're doing it. <laughs> this little bowl of water here, it's so simple. Dr. Tashin actually helped me with this. This is meant to be a tangible reminder, yes, that you are amongst the baptized. I hope when you come and you dip your fingers into this water, it may seem foreign to you, it may seem ritualistic to you, and it, perhaps it is both foreign and ritualistic, but that doesn't mean it's not true. I hope when your fingers touch this water and you feel it, it's this, this cool water, I hope something shakes loose and your mind is jolted to the moment of your baptism that you keep your baptism in front of you all the time because I think if we'll keep the reality of our baptism in front of us all the time, maybe we will find it easier and easier to live into and up to the promises we made, we all made in the pool. Maybe you, like your pastor, like me, are just chronically human enough to recognize both when I fall short of the high vows of baptism, fall short, <laughs> fall short of God's dream for me as a member of the rebellion <laughs> in the best sorts of ways. Maybe you're like me. Coming back to the table is a constant reminder that God chooses me all over again. Dipping my fingers into this bowl is a constant reminder that I am still a part of the movement and perhaps God can even use my failure. To move all of creation, to nudge all of creation toward God's dreams for all of it and all of us. I wish baptism was a little bit more dangerous. Kind of do.
2: <laughs>
1: if it's ever going to be dangerous again, like it should be, it's up to us, the baptized, to live into our baptismal vow. to fully participate in the process whereby the image of God is restored in my mind and heart and life so that I can participate with God in the process of uncovering and recovering the image of God, (laughs) the image of God that God stamped all of creation with. Our God has won, is winning, and will win, and we get to help. If you're helping us to set the table today, would you come and get us organized? Thank you for being here on a fall break Sunday. We won't necessarily believe that all of those not here today are unchristian, but we do miss them. (laughs) But what a good day, what a good day to be able to say and to remind one another again that we belong first and foremost to the God who's authored this imprint, this image, first and foremost. People, that is a difficult task. You will need to be properly nourished by the grace and forgiveness of God even have a prayer of having enough energy and strength to be these kinds of people. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and use them, God, to strengthen us to live in the light of the resurrection. Strengthen us, God, to be people who live up to and into our baptismal vows. Strengthen us, God, to have the energy to participate with you as you sanctify each one of us in the hopes that we could recover your image in and on us. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew and come forward. Exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive this gift of grace, this tangible reminder of the grace and forgiveness of God that can be for each of us and all of us the necessary resources to be the people of God. Resourced each week by this tangible reminder of the grace and forgiveness of God. You'll approach somebody holding a plate of bread. That person holding the bread will snap off a piece, press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't take and eat just yet. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat And then, church, I invite you to think hard about doing one or both of these two things. Maybe make a special trip here to remember your baptism. That you have been set apart. That you have been initiated. And then find a place to pray. Maybe, maybe. And forgive me if this seems at all old-fashioned, but maybe it's a pretty good day to give more of yourself to the God who will have you. Maybe you recognize today that you're a doctor who happens to be a Christian or at least go to church or a teacher who happens to go to church, a business person, whatever it might be, and perhaps you feel that it's time for you to say, God, more of you. more of me, then pray that prayer. Pray that prayer. If you go to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you at this altar or at this altar to pray that prayer and anoint you with oil. If you come to one of these mourner's benches, these wooden kneeling benches here, we won't assume anything, nor will we let you pray by yourself. At some point, somebody will touch you to let you know that you are not alone. Sometimes that's all it takes. Or you can circle right back around to your seat. No matter where you end up, please pray that God would have more of you and that you would have more of God. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it, he broke it. Gave it to his disciples saying, This is my body broken for you. And every single time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he would take the cup and hold it up before them and say, And this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. Who all is invited to this table? Every last one of you, no matter what you dragged in here with you today, If you understand your need for this grace, you are welcome here, no matter what, period. If you can't come to us, then we will come to you. Jason will be on his way to you. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped. The gifts of God for the people of God to resource the mission of God.
2: Be that. be.
1: I'm going to pray a few words of confession before turning this over to Jason to pray prayers of petition. Heavenly Father, we confess. Confess, Lord, that we are the people who sometimes can be confused by, intimidated by, intoxicated by battles that are far too small. Far too small. Father, sometimes we can be convinced by what we see around us, what we see on our screens. Sometimes we can be convinced that we are losing, that you are losing. We find ourselves at times, Lord, retreating behind walls of safety and security. God, what we need is to be reminded the very movement of baptism. Be reminded, Lord, that we were brought up out of the water to symbolize and to signify our solidarity with the one who was freed from death. Remind us, God, that we the baptized are a resurrection community remind us lord that we should be about the business of restoring recovering partners with you in the reclaiming of all creation that you've already called good and very good god help us to be good citizens Yes, of our country. But even more importantly, God, help us to be good citizens of this kingdom that you have launched. Help us to be good citizens of this kingdom that you have launched. And may we get to that place where we have recovered the divine image stamped on each of us and all of us. May we get to that place where we can understand ourselves first and foremost as kingdom citizens who then go and do and are so many other things. And when we fail, remind us that your grace and forgiveness is part of the process whereby we are built for the next steps. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another.
0: In these moments of prayers of intercession, would you tune your hearts to pray for those in your life who you know need a specific healing touch from the Lord, as we mention a few names in our lives of this congregation that need the presence of God in a very real and healing and special way. So together, would you pray along with me as I mention some of these names as I pray this morning? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to come alongside of some of your people who struggle with cancer. And so, Lord, we pray for Debbie McKenzie this morning who is in the hospital at OU. Lord, we ask you would touch and surround her body and heal her and be with her family that loves and surrounds her. What a blessing for us this morning to see Larry and LaDonna Bennett actually be with the both of them and especially be with LaDonna as she enters into another chemotherapy treatment for cancer in her brain. Lord, would you heal LaDonna Bennett. Lord, I ask that you would be with beloved family members. and You know who they are, church, as you have them in your mind right now. who have a healing touch need. The person I'm thinking about Steve. Mention the name of that person in your life who needs a healing touch from God. Pray that name in hope. want to ask God that you would come alongside Ken Hardy, as he underwent another surgery this week. Ask God you would be with our friend Faith Faith Sinclair, as she was in the hospital this week and still has opportunities to recover from a heart problem. Lord, would you please come alongside and heal Faith Sinclair? Lord, would you be with Christine Sibbett's father, John Please, God, as he's in the ICU and struggles, Lord, at this time, would you heal his body and come alongside his family? Lord, we pray for all those who need your presence beyond, Lord, an issue of their health or wellness or illness. Lord, we pray continually for the Lardy family. We pray for Pastor Lisa and Doug and their families they surround and miss and wonder and pray for Joe. So God, we as a church pray for our friend, Joe Lardy. Lord, in these moments remaining before we pray, the Lord's Prayer. Lord, we ask that you would come alongside of us as we are your imprinted people in your world. God, may we be light and hope to our neighbors, this neighborhood, our state and our world. God, would you use us as your people amidst all the division to bring peace and joy and love in very meaningful and real ways with all of those we interact with this week. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would shape us into people who believe and live into this prayer, the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. In church this morning, we'll use